This week, while we are all practicing social distancing, we're excited to be joined by Chris Golden, who, among other things, is a member of the board of directors at the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Accreditation Body. That's the last time I'm saying that. It's CMMC. We're devoting the whole show today to discuss all things about CMMC. In our first segment, we'll learn a little bit about Chris, his background, and how he got involved with the CMMC. And uh, Chris is going to introduce us to CMC, CMMC, tell us what it's all about, what it is, what it hopes to become, what it will be. Um, and we're going to continue the discussion in our second segment. And Chris is going to talk about how to prepare for CMMC, what to expect, why it matters, why we should care, all this and more. So join us as we tear down silos and build bridges on Security and Compliance Weekly. This is a Security Weekly production. And now, it's the show that bridges the requirements of regulations, compliance, and privacy with those of security. Your trusted source for complying with various mandates, building effective programs, and current compliance news. It's time for Security and Compliance Weekly. RSA offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. RSA solutions are designed to effectively detect and respond to advanced attacks, manage user access control, and reduce business risk, fraud, and cybercrime. RSA protects millions of users around the world and helps more than 90% of the Fortune 500 companies thrive and continuously adapt to transformational change. For more information, visit Security Week com forward slash RSA security. And welcome to episode number 23 of Security and Compliance Weekly, recorded on April 7th, 2020. I'm your host, Mr. Jeff Mann, coming to you isolatedly from Pasadena, Maryland, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Scott Lyons, Josh Marpet, and Matt Alderman, who are all isolating in their little parts of the world. Matt, did you make it back to... Uh, Colorado? I did. I did. I made it back. I I mean, I left before the lockdown. I came back after the lockdown in the state I left from lockdown right after us. So I I had this really interesting window, but yeah, home safe and sound. Great. Hey, before we get going today, I do have a few announcements. First, uh, I think I speak for all of the Security Weekly team when I say I hope everybody that's uh, out in our listening uh, world is doing well, uh, coping with the self-isolation, whether they're used to it or not, and uh, uh, more or less hanging in there. Uh, You know, there's plenty of content on Security Weekly to to fill your days when you're sitting around not doing anything. Also, as a personal note, uh, just wanted to mention, uh, if you want to get caught up on your reading, you should check out the latest edition of Tribe of Hackers. The latest edition is the Security Leaders edition. Uh, I happen to be in it, so you could read about that. A um, couple more announcements. Uh, is your open source code secure? Learn how to verify your code during development, not after the build, in our next webcast with Synopsys. You can register for our upcoming webcasts webcasts or virtual trainings by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash webcast. You can also access our on-demand library of previously recorded webcasts, trainings uh, by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. Each webcast, by the way, will earn you one CPE credit that we can submit on your behalf if you provide your ISC squared number. Uh, 
And also, we have officially migrated back to our original mailing list on the original platform. Our categories have been scrubbed and nailed down, and you're now able to customize what you want to receive from us based on your preferences by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe. Click on the Join Our Listener Interest List button. Uh, once you've joined, you'll also be able to go back and update your interests so that you can uh, grow. We can grow with you as you progress through your journey in InfoSec. Okay, enough of all that. I'd like to introduce uh, everyone to our, our guest today, Chris Golden. Uh, Chris is a retired U.S. Air Force colonel, former fighter pilot, I believe. Uh, he's also a recognized leader in protecting the most sensitive data in the most highly regulated spaces in our world, which is the Department of Defense, Finance, Banking and Investment, and Healthcare. He's also currently a member of the board of directors of that big, long CMMC name that I mentioned earlier, the accreditation body, uh, where he's responsible for the strategic direction and guidance of the CMMC program. Welcome, Chris, to Security and Compliance Weekly. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Appreciate it. Uh, we're uh, glad to have you, too. Um, we like to start our interviews with everyone by just sort of level setting on a question that we've come up with since we're the security and compliance show. Uh, just your initial thoughts. There's no right or wrong answers. But where do you where do you kind of fall on this whole continuum, as, le as we like to call it, between security and compliance? Uh, I, I certainly fall on the, the side that says uh, – being compliant does not necessarily mean being secure. Uh, if you're uh, if you're using a checklist to determine your security posture, you are probably missing uh, the forest for the trees, kind of thing. So I don't know which spectrum uh, side of the spectrum that is, but that's where I fall on it. I think a lot of us in this community are somewhere on the spectrum. Um, hey, I so, resemble that, Mark. <laughs> I think we. All yeah, do I was. It. I was about to At say, hey, come out. on. <laughs> So, uh, Chris, you you started off life uh, in, in the sky. Uh, how did you, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and and how you got from the the stratosphere down to the ground and are now doing what you're doing today with CMMC? Sure, yeah, not a problem. Um, most pilots will tell you we're some of the you know, the best risk managers on the planet. Uh, it's something you have to do every second of every flight. And translating those skills into the corporate environment or the DOD risk management environment is a, is a pretty natural progression. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I did a couple decades in the military, various flying command and staff assignments, uh, retired as a colonel, like you said, uh, entered the civilian workforce, really didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. So I uh, started doing cybersecurity stuff for uh, Wall Street. Uh, I was the director of cybersecurity strategic planning for a company called DTCC, the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, where <clears throat> about a trillion dollars a day in uh, financial transactions flowed through our systems. And so obviously the bad guys were very interested in, in what we were doing. I did that for a number of years. And then healthcare offered an uh, opportunity for me to jump over and do healthcare stuff, coming from a highly sensitive, highly regulated DOD environment to, again, another highly sensitive, highly regulated finance, banking, insurance environment to healthcare. Uh, it was a natural progression, so that's what I do now. I'm the Director of Information Security for Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Uh, and in my part-time role, I, uh, I create and manage third-party cyber risk management solutions for large companies as they try to figure out uh, you know, what's going on in their supply chain. Can they share that sensitive data 
with their supply chain. And that at a fundamental level is what the DOD is asking the AB, the accreditation body to do uh, with the CMMC program is to sort of manage that work for them. Uh, and so that's, that's sort of how I got here very quickly. Uh, the, the path uh, once started, uh, started back in October, uh, DOD leased, uh, released an RFI request for information saying, hey, we've got this CMMC program. We're not sure what to do next. Dear public, give us some, some options. And so there were 41 folks or companies that uh, submitted white papers. I was one of them uh, that said, here's what we think you should do, DOD. Um, next month in November, there was a industry day down in D.C. I went down to about 200 people on site, about another 400 or so people uh, being uh, watched a streaming event. Uh, and the EOD walked in and said how critical this was. They think their, uh, their estimate is we're losing about $600 billion, with a B, dollars worth of intellectual property uh, to our adversaries every year from the defense supply chain. Uh, Katie Arrington, who's the CISO for acquisitions uh, over in the office of the Secretary of Defense, says it's very surprising to her that uh, the F-22 rolls off the platform. And then, you know, very soon after that, China rolls out one that looks exactly like it. How did that happen? You know, where did all that that stuff go that we were providing, you know, to our contractors, did it just flow right out the door? So we had that industry day, DOD walked in and asked industry to self-organize. Uh, they didn't want to be involved. They didn't want to uh, have uh, the, the onus on them of doing this. They wanted the industry to sort of self-organize and self-regulate itself for this kind of stuff. So a bunch of us raised our hands and said, we're interested in doing this. A couple more meetings down the road, we finally formed into working groups. I ran a couple of those working groups, uh, there were about seven of them, so there were six or seven leads running those. Uh, sometime in January, we got together and decided somebody had to start making decisions. So we elected a chair uh, of this initial little board we were forming, uh, Ty Schreiber. You've probably seen the news articles about him. Uh, and then we incorporated in the state of Maryland as a nonprofit 5013C organization uh, with the board, with bylaws and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the IRS has got our paperwork for actual nonprofit status, so we're just sort of going through the mechanisms with that. Uh, we realized very quickly that we had a whole bunch of small business representatives on the board. And so we expanded the board from seven to 15 and tried to bring in a lot bigger companies. So we've got representatives now from Microsoft and Raytheon, among others, to give us that bigger sort of prime perspective that we needed. We thought we were lacking. Uh, the board is now broke up into various working committees. I'm on a couple of them, infrastructure, finance, uh, training, that stuff like that. Uh, the board committees are opening up working groups to the public. So people that want to volunteer to help us answer some of these really tough questions we're trying to struggle with, uh, that's happening via our website. I'll plug it a couple times, but it's uh, cmmcab.org is the website. And uh, you know, we got an MOU signed the other day with the, the Memorandum of Understanding with the Department of Defense, basically saying, hey, here's what we think the problem set is, here's what we're gonna do about it. DOD, here's your responsibilities. AB, here's your responsibilities. Uh, signed by Ms. Ellen Lord and then by Ty Schreiber, our chair. So that gives us some, you know, some kind of authority to now go forth and conquer. We've been waiting for that for quite some time to worry about things like funding and training and bringing people on to be C-3PO's, et cetera, all the nuts and bolts that have to happen. We've sort of been waiting for that MOU to get signed. But now that it's signed, we're off and running and had our first uh, national conversation uh, with the public yesterday. Uh, unfortunately, I think we broke the internet on that. Uh, Cisco servers were crashed as the 4,000th person tried to join the, uh, the WebEx. Uh, I think it's a good thing. I would certainly have, have liked to have the, the WebEx up and running to answer everybody's questions, but so much participation, so much interest, I think is a good thing. And we'll, we'll come up with a better way forward to get everybody's questions answered in a, in a timely fashion. It just may not be live in real time. So uh, that's, uh, that's sort of how I got, who I am and how I got here. Wow. So Chris, can I, I, I'm trying to break this 
thing down. I'm going to use an analogy. Tell me if I'm close because I want people to understand what is CMMC. The way I heard you kind of describe it is FIPS 200 for uh, procurement and third parties. Kind of think of third-party vendor management that go through a formalized process and need a set of requirements to certify against kind of like FIPS 200. Am I close or am I still way off? Yeah, you're, you're close. Uh, I would think more about NIST 171. Uh, NIST 171 is the set of practices that the Department of Defense wants contractors, defense contractors to follow. Uh, it is a self-attestation program, meaning that you do the program, uh, you write a letter saying we're certified or we're certified with these sort of things we still need to do. You could create a program, a program of objective and milestones paperwork to say, here's how we're going to get there. Uh, but the DOD has realized that some people are not playing fair uh, when it comes to that kind of stuff. They want to level set the security cost amongst the defense industrial base. So if you're a small business owner and you're actually doing all the controls in 171, there's a cost to that, right? And if your next door neighbor, defense contractor B, is not doing that, but at the same time attestation, sayingly that they are doing that, uh, they're saving money and maybe underbid you. And so by making everybody do it, they're going to sort of level the cost amongst all companies, but they want an external evaluation of your 171 compliance. They don't want self-attestation anymore. Uh, and so it. I think it's a little bit closer to 171. From the civilian side, think about PCI DSS. You know, the credit card companies got together and said, hey, <laughs> Wait a minute. We, need to, we need to do this before <laughs> the government regulates us. Uh, that's sort of the same thing we're doing. We're doing this as a non-governmental body. Again, we don't work for the DOD. We're not part of the government. Uh, we're an independent nonprofit. And so we're going to do this on behest of the government uh, and get these things done. But we're going to do it so the government doesn't apply regulations uh, on top of everything else. Yeah, so, and Chris, we have me, you have similar models in the ahead. financial space under DTCC, right? I mean, you had sure. Santa Fe Group do the shared assessment program, yep. which came up with kind of an outline of the standard information gathering, the agreed upon procedures to facilitate this. Each bank or financial institution kind of did their own thing. What, what I think you changed here was you created more of a central body to do the accreditation instead of leaving it up in to the individual um, companies or or the DOD itself. Is it, that's probably a closer analogy. Yeah, yeah, a little bit closer. So our, our two primary missions are one, to accredit C3PAO, Certified Third-Party Assessment Organization. So there will be companies that raise their hand and say, we want to go out and do these audits. That's a C3PAO. So we're going to accredit those companies. We're developing a criteria that we'll use to assess whether you can or cannot be a C3PAO. And then we're going to certify assessors, individual assessors that will work for C3PAOs to go out and do the actual audits. So we, the accreditation body, will not be conducting audits. Uh, these sub-organizations uh, that work for us basically will go out and do the audits. Our job is to sort of maintain the model uh, with the help of the DOD uh, in terms of how to implement the model. That's sort of where we're standing right now. Uh, what What is a control pass? What is a control failure? Those are the kind of questions we're struggling with, uh, trying to get good definitions on. Uh, if you go to NIST 171 Alpha, the implementation guide for 171, a lot of the stuff we're doing is in that lane. You know, do you need to talk to somebody about Control X? Do you need to see a test of it? Do you just need to collect an artifact of it? You know, what what is good? What is passing? So we're sort of at that higher level where the auditors are going to be one level removed from us. Yeah, and that is a very PCI specific model. You've got the PCI council. Right putting out the requirements, certifying the bodies and certifying the assessors, 
Jeff. Um, and then yeah. <laughs> obviously you guys are kind of filling that same role. I, I just see a combination. When I was reading the documentation, I see all these different pieces coming from different areas. And I'm like, how does this all fit together? Now I'm starting to understand how it all fits. Well, you got to remember that 800-171 was all self-assessment and nobody mm -hmm. did it. Yep. Uh, my anecdotal guess was that about six to 10% of companies actually performed the assessment and about 90 to 100 claims they did. So, well, out of and that was, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, and that was, uh, that's certainly part of the legacy of PCI is that so many companies were on the self-assessment side of PCI because they weren't big enough for, uh, to matter, to have a, a, a third party come in and, and assess them on the standard. So a lot of the, uh, a lot of the reputation within the hacker security community about PCI comes from the fact that so many companies, uh, we're in the self-assessment boat. That's where we get all this idea of, well, the only thing that you do is a vulnerability scan and you only do it once a quarter, or it's just a checkbox assessment. Whereas there's so much more to PCI than that. That's just one element, which the PCI council has acknowledged and, and is trying to uh, bolster that and trying trying to improve upon it. Uh, but this is not a, a discussion about PCI, although it warms my heart to hear that the, <laughs> it, it sounds like you know, the CMMC accreditation board is 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 taking a, a lot of its uh, 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 leads in terms of how it's organized from the PCI council, for better or for worse, I'd say. No, the PCI Obvious quite opposite, Jeff. The PCI council should take some lead from CMMC. Uh, CMMC is far ahead of PCI. Well, it, I think it will be. I think I think that what I heard from Chris was under 171, it was a self-assessment. It was optional. And what they're trying to do is level the playing field, which no, means not there is going to be a formalized process. There's going to be formalized assessors to go out and assess and attest to what you were supposed to do in the self-assessment. That's a little further beyond than what PCI is doing because there still is a lot of self-assessment in PCI. Sounds like CMMC is trying to level the playing field across all suppliers to the DOD saying you all have to go through an accreditation process if you want to sell into the DOD. That's what I heard. Well, so hold on. Let's 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 do a little bit of demystification here, okay? 171 was not optional. Period. End of story. The problem with 171 is that it didn't have teeth and it didn't have a way for somebody to be able to validate that 171 was hit. Right? So CMMC is taking all of that plus a couple other things you know, a couple steps further and saying, if you want to be CMMC certified, if you want to be able to deal with DOD contracts, right, to be able to take in and, and you know, uh, uh, move money, right, you have to be CMMC one to five certified, right? And that's with a C3 PAO. Chris, am I getting this? I'm getting this right, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, uh, you're all sort of dancing around the same topic. Um, you know, you, you will have to have a CMMMC score of whatever, and it'll be in the contract of whether you need level one, two, three, four, five, uh, by mm -hmm. the time the contract is awarded. Right. Now, so how many, how many companies, you know, Josh, Josh, Josh brought up a great point about breadth and scope, right? How many companies is CMMC going to be affecting, right? Like how, how big is this? Our guess from the DOD is between 300 and 350,000. Okay, so all companies having contracts with the DOD, period, end of story, correct? Correct. So any, any primes, any named subs, any, anybody who has a, a named as a, has a full or a chunk of a contract with the DOD will have to be 
CMMC certified at some level between one and five. Correct. Now, the vast majority of the companies that are in the defense industrial base are small and micro, probably closer to the 300,000 number uh, in terms of overall percentages. And, and most of them will be level one. Uh, level one is, is 17 controls. It's not rocket science. It's basic cyber hygiene. Uh, and so it, it should be relatively easy for them to get there. And, and frankly, the cost should not be onerous as well. There will be a few that need to be at the level three. And so level three is sort of in the model where we get to the CUI, the CUI level. If you're being exchanged confidential but unclassified information with the DOD, you need to be level three to support that. Now, if you choose, as a prime, let's say, to downflow that CUI to a sub, then that sub will also need to protect that information uh, at the level three. But if you don't do it, they're probably okay at a level one. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Time, time out. Time uh, out. You, you just, you, you had an acronym, CUI, and you said it's confidential, unclassified information. Information. Uh, it, it, you know, it's actually granted, I've been out of the DOD for a while, but back in the day, uh, uh, there was a classification of information that was called con confidential exclusively, and there was a classification of information that was called unclassified exclusively. It's, it's actually, and I'm sorry What's, to be... It's actually what controlled unclassified information. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah, sorry, you're right. Controlled, controlled. unclassified. Oh, okay. That makes it makes much makes it make much more sense. Con now, but if, it's, if, it's, it's, what's ahead, the Jeff. difference between that then and FOUO? Uh, uh, I, I believe it's mainly that you're, you're it's it's supply chain specific kind of information. Uh, it's plans, it's requirements, it's specifications. Uh, those kind of things that make it cooey and, and versus just regular old unclassified that can be shared with anybody in the public. It's it's sensitive enough that we want to protect it or the DOD wants to protect it, but not so sensitive that we want to put it at the classified level. So is it um, you, you you introduced the whole thing by you know talking about you know I forget which plane you said the F something F twenty two that rolled off the assembly line the, and, and uh, Raptor yeah the F twenty two. And then the, and, and China rolled out a very similar looking plane. I mean, when I was in the DOD more years ago than I'd like to admit, we had the same sort of discussion uh, about the, um, the space shuttle. You know, why did the Russian space shuttle look so much like uh, the U.S. space shuttle and, and their explanation? And this is somewhat, you know, I just heard this. It's hearsay. But their, their explanation was, well, you know, aerodynamically, there's a way that these things should look so that they work. Um, I guess my question is, it, it, so it sounds like this CUI thing is, it's, it's, the, it's the specs. It's like, this is what you want, this is what we want you to build. And when, when these, all these contractors and suppliers come back with the details, that's the sensitive stuff that gets higher classified that we really want to protect uh, and, and not lose it to our, our adversaries, our, the, you know, third-party nation states. Am I tracking with what you're saying? Yes, I, I believe you're tracking. Obviously, we're also looking to change sort of the culture of cybersecurity within the defense industrial base. And so that's why you'll see the level ones, you know, doing basic cyber hygiene. They may not be getting CUI uh, as part of their daily process, but we still want their systems a little more hardened than they are now. I got a couple more questions, and some of them are just clarification. Some are uh, some maybe a little silly, but. Um, Starting with 
you you mentioned an uh, uh, an ac- another acronym C3PAO and it sounds like that that's the equivalent of in the PCI world what a QSA is that's that those are the assessors those are the people that come in and evaluate whether you're 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 meeting the requirements is is that actually it's a QSC right? it's a it's the company itself QSAC QSAC okay so a yeah, C3PAO is equivalent to a QSAC Writ large, yes, I think that that's correct. It's the company that's going to hire assessors, and the assessors will go do the audits. And and Scott, I'm surprised you haven't asked yet. What who, who on the who in the organization decided to call it a C3PAO, which what seems to be a, a, a <laughs> nod to Star Wars. That, well, that term it, it, already it sort exists of is. in the federal space with yeah, it, um, it already exists there. FedRAMP, yeah, FedRAMP, okay. right. Okay. Well, that's okay. a three PAO, not a C three PAO. Yeah, oh. FedRAMP has three three POWs, right? So three POWs are third party assessment organizations versus the CMMC version, which is now C three PAO. And yes, you can <laughs> you can make the mistake of trying to transcribe it into a droid. Okay, um, but okay. you know the the main the main push of it is to mirror what's going on in PCI because the the QSA is being able to come in and help a company understand what their you know what the rules of compliance or the rock is right is huge right there are a lot of small and medium businesses that don't and I may have gotten that wrong but uh, there are a lot of small and mediums that don't understand uh, uh, that don't understand compliance and or don't have the time to deal with it because they're too worried about money coming in to stay afloat right. make sense it makes sense. I guess my my final question, which uh, uh, and I don't mean to to be uh, pedantic, uh, and I hope I'm using the right word. Um, when I'm as I'm hearing about what the CMMC is about and what it's designed to do in terms of the uh, supply chain, the contractors, I can't help but thinking. Um, it, it, it sounds like at some level it's a it, it's kind of a do as I say not as I do uh, type of scenario, and I say that because uh, it, it seems like very often government agencies, and, and maybe because it's uh, DoD and 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 you know national security interests, maybe they're a little bit better off. But it seems like a lot of government agencies would struggle with the same requirements, uh, and and to put that that degree of scrutiny on the supply chain and on the contractors and you know companies that want to do business with the government it seems like they might be being held just perhaps a higher level of scrutiny than the government agencies themselves so in the form of a question how do, how does how does this program reflect back on the government agencies themselves uh, is there an equivalent for the government agencies and i'm saying this naively because i try to avoid government contracting work at all cause uh is that what the fed ramp program is or, or what are, what programs are out there to assure that the government agencies themselves are doing the type of security that they're requiring uh, or want to require uh contractors and third parties to do under this cmmc program yeah so obviously i, I no longer work for the government either uh the cmmc accreditation body is not a government organization so you probably need to ask that question to the government but i'll, I'll say two things on what you just said number one the government agencies have inspector generals, right? And they inspect organizations to make sure they are in compliance with whatever laws Congress is, uh, has passed and want them to follow. So there's that avenue to make sure agency X is in line with whatever they're supposed to be doing. 
And two, you mentioned FedRAMP. So FedRAMP is a uh, process for building and selling stuff to the Department of Defense and and the government writ large, right? So if I'm going to build some software, how I do release management, et cetera, et cetera, uh, change management is going to be important, and all that's governed under FedRAMP. CMMC is looking at the company that's doing FedRAMP stuff. We're not looking at FedRAMP stuff. We're not looking at how you built that server. Uh, did you harden it uh, with physical hardware, stuff like that? We're looking at the company. Can the company hold the information uh, correctly? So that's a little bit different tact between what the CMMCAB is going to do uh, as a program and what FedRAMP does. And I believe right. FIPS 200 is the DOD equivalent internally. I mean, that that is the requirements, right? I mean, you ha- as, as a as an agency under DOD, my understanding is you have to go through a FIPS 199, FIPS 200. The control statements, which came out of 853, which are mandated in the 200, have to be applied. That's the internal government controls. That's why I asked if it was basically the FIPS 200 for third parties, because that that that's to, to answer your question, Jeff, that's my understanding of the equivalency back and forth. Okay. I, Scott, Josh, am I wrong? It's the 200s, the internal requirements, right? Well, there there are varying there there are varying levels and degrees, you know, well, I mean, uh, depending on depending on what you're doing. Go ahead, Josh. Well, okay, so again, we've got different levels of information, and in this, Jeff, I want to be clear. You're absolutely correct. This is following PCI. There's different levels of information. There's the controlled unclassified. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, the classified at, at low side and high side, uh, secret, then top secret, then compartmentalized, etc. Uh, the for, for a government agency, there's a lot of different uh, standards for them to follow. But FIPS, you're, you're absolutely right, Matt, is, is what they should be following. Uh, and they have the inspector generals, as, as Chris said, to watch over and make sure they're doing it properly. And the inspector generals are supposed to be absolutely independent, totally uh, able to go in with, with, uh, um, you know, with objectivity, couldn't think of the word, to go in and make sure things are being done right. They're mimicking that. And they're mimicking, uh, again, a lot of PCI and adding on to it and expanding to build this for external entities because we shouldn't leave any aspect of security wherever that information flows adrift effectively. And I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead, Scott. No, 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 no. That's, that's exactly what we needed to hear. Now, Chris, I'm, I, I want to I wanna throw a question at you, right? Sure. Um, it's 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 a little bit off topic of CMMC, but still stays in the family of CMMC. Okay, uh, you had said earlier that you're in charge of a strategy, right? Or you're you you add into the the strategic decisions, correct? Correct. Or CMMC. All board do. Right, right. So my question to you is: There are a lot of companies that don't deal with government contracts that are out there, right? So we're talking about the commercial market. Right. Uh, however, they have to or they feel entitled to fall under a sort of compliance. Right. Whatever that might be. Compliance acts. Right. Let's just call it that. Does CMMC have the vision to be able to say to uh, corporate entities that the CMMC process is where you should start if you're questioning your compliance? I think it does. Uh, obviously, right now, our, our focus is 100% on the DOD supply chain, right? That's what we were asked to stand up and do. That's what the MOU between us and the DOD states, we're going to focus on that. But over time, um, I think as regulators become 
more comfortable with the DOD standard, they are more likely to choose the DOD standard. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. uh, so if I'm a bank and I'm in New York and I'm following NYDFS, uh, maybe that regulator says, you know, maybe the CMMC model is better than NYDFS and we'll choose that. Uh, okay. If you're in the healthcare space and maybe you're currently high trust certified uh, or you've got a SOC 2 type 2 audit that you're showing your customers to say, hey, this is how good we are at information security. Maybe those regulators decide that CMMC is a better model and choose to go there. Obviously, I, I can't predict the future, but the, the way the model is set up, anybody can use it. But our focus at the AB is on the defense industrial base. But in the future, I could see it moving outside that to people that don't contract uh, with the federal government for anything, but just are more comfortable with the model. Okay. And then the follow on to that, right, is, is it the vision and strategy within the CMMCAB to work with insurance carriers to provide a minimum level of uh, insurance coverage for companies who meet CMMC? Uh, I, I haven't heard that yet. Uh, there's still lots of things that are in play as we bring this thing out. We, again, we just sort of signed the MOU, so we're at the very initial stages of this. That's a possibility, mm -hmm. but I don't know when or how we might, might get there, and we haven't really had discussions on that, so I can't give you a okay. good answer. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I just I know what I know what our listeners are going to be asking because uh, we've done rants and rants and rants about cyber insurance and how it doesn't pair up with compliance, right? So trying to take a compliance regime and pair it up with cyber insurance, right, uh, might be might be a good a good, you know, value add for a strategic decision. All right. Okay. Hey, let's yeah. uh, let's take a break uh, and we'll come back in a few minutes. We'll continue the conversation. I think we all have more questions to ask, but uh, we'll try to have Chris describe, you know, because it's new, obviously, we don't know exactly a lot of the answers to this, but we'll we'll talk about sort of what the strategy is for how this is going to roll out and, and how Chris and, 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 the, and the board thinks it's going to work. So uh, ho hold our thoughts and questions. We'll be right back. 